This is a Scream Queen production. Season 3 finale of So Dead. I'm your host, Jen Carpenter. This is episode 80, friends. 8080. 80. When Danny and I first started putting this thing together over three years ago now, we had no idea what to expect. Like, I have ideas all the time. My brain is just a nonstop idea factory. It's exhausting, honestly. Some of these ideas work out, some of them do not, like my party planning business. That was a disaster that we don't need to talk about at all. So I went into this whole podcast thing hoping it would be, you know, a fun little project that might turn into something. But if not, no, you know, no big deal. And now here we are, three seasons and 80 episodes later, still going strong. And that's because of you guys, the listeners. I would not still be doing this if you all weren't on the other end listening. So thank you all for all of your love and support over the past three years. For our season finale, we're going to end things right back where we started this season in Kalamazoo. In the first episode of the season, I told you about the serial killer siblings from Kalamazoo, Larry and Danny Rains, which, have you guys noticed that every season starts with a serial killer and ends with a massacre? That was not something that was intentional initially, but I guess it's sort of a thing now. So yeah, a massacre to end the season. Here we go. Kalamazoo, for those of you not from around these parts, is a city of about 75,000 people in southwest Michigan. It is roughly a half hour west of our favorite creepy little town of them all, Battle Creek, and it's the halfway point between Chicago and Detroit. It's got a small town feel with big city amenities and is an industrial powerhouse, manufacturing everything from Gibson guitars to paper to, more recently, COVID vaccines at the largest Pfizer manufacturing. <laughs> I'm already not able to talk today. And we're like a paragraph in. That's amazing. Um, Pfizer manufacturing plant in the world. Big factories mean lots of employees, so people come from all over the country to live, work, and raise families in Kalamazoo. The city is also home to Western Michigan University, so it's a college town. There's a lot going on. When I was looking up information on Kalamazoo, which I've been there many, many times, it's just not like I wrote a book report on the place, though, so I didn't know like the statistics and all of that. I found an article naming Kalamazoo one of the top 10 college towns in America, right under an article naming it the fourth most dangerous city in Michigan. So it seems like the opinion on Kalamazoo's image is a bit divided. 
What is certain, though, is that the town once known as Celery City was the scene of a crime spree so horrific it changed the community forever. I grew up in the 80s. You know this. We've talked about it before. And if there's anything that was drilled into my head as a kid, it was this. Stop, drop, and roll. Just say no to drugs. And never get into cars with strangers. This was right about the time that we as a society were figuring out that hitchhiking was not the best idea. It was resulting in a whole lot of murder. So if a stranger pulled up and offered you a ride, danger Will Robinson. But here in the 21st century, in the age of services like Uber and Lyft, it's a whole different ballgame. Because it feels safe, right? You log into a trusted app, press a button, and a few minutes later, a car pulls up just for you. Surely these services vet their drivers, right? (laughs) Not so much. So here, now, in the year of our Lord 2021, the Uber approval process takes about three to five days. You just have to have a valid U.S. driver's license and an eligible four-door vehicle. You send in proof of insurance and a selfie, literally a selfie. They review your driving and criminal records, and if there are no red flags, you're good to go and you can start taking passengers. There is no face-to-face interview or anything like that. This is all done online. So not as stranger danger as hitchhiking, but stranger danger nonetheless. And this is now over a decade into this whole Uber Lyft thing after many, many horrific incidents that have required safety measures to be put in place. Five years ago, in 2016, the requirements to become an Uber driver were likely much more lax. Um, or maybe they were exactly the same. I could absolutely just be talking shit here. Uber did not begin in 2016. It actually started way back in 2009. I just mentioned 2016 because that's where our story, the most egregious of all Uber horror stories, begins. With a man who claimed that the Uber app itself possessed him, turning him from a family man to a sadistic killer in an instant one sunny afternoon. Before we get into this one, I want to thank today's sponsor, BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Depression, anxiety, both of which I have struggled with my entire life, can make it hard to even get out of bed some days, let alone get things done. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy done securely online. There is a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. BetterHelp is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change therapists if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline therapy, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily by real clients of the service so you can get a real feel of what it's like. Visit betterhelp.com slash so dead. That's betterhelp, 
H-E-L-P, and joined the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional therapists right now in all 50 states. So dead listeners get a special offer, 10% off your first month by going to betterhelp.com slash so dead. That is betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash so dead. And thank you, BetterHelp, for sponsoring this episode. Our story begins on a Saturday, February 20th, 2016, to be exact. It was unseasonably warm that day, sunny with a high in the mid-50s. And we get those every once in a while in the winter, kind of like a quick break from the harshness of the typical Michigan winter. The sun comes out, the snow starts to melt, we crack the windows, fire up the grill. Sometimes it lasts a few days, and sometimes it's just like one glorious afternoon of freedom, a preview of spring, if you will. We take our dogs for walks, send our kids out to play, get the urge to kickstart our spring cleaning, even though it's not spring yet at all. And this was the scene playing out that day in Kalamazoo. Kids at the parks, dads doing yard work, people running errands. A normal day with the unexpected arrival of fresh air and vitamin D giving everyone a little mood boost. The first sign of trouble didn't come until about 4.30 that afternoon when a man called 911 to report that he just had a disturbing experience with an Uber driver. Matt Mellon had left his vehicle at a friend's house after a party the night before, so he ordered an Uber to go pick it up. At 4.21 p.m., a Sylvie... <laughs> cannot talk. I cannot talk. I'm sorry. A silver Chevy Equinox pulled into his driveway. The man behind the wheel was unremarkable. He was an overweight, middle-aged, white dude with uncrimped... I'm going home now. I already am home, but I'm going to find a new home, and I'm going to go there, and maybe someone there can teach me how to speak English. Let's try that again. An overweight, middle-aged, white dude with unkempt gray hair, and thick, dark-rimmed glasses. It was what was in the back seat that actually caught Matt's attention. The driver's German shepherd, Mia. Because the back seat was full of dog, Matt climbed into the front seat, into the passenger seat. The driver introduced himself as Mimi, Mimi, which Matt found a bit strange because, according to Uber, the guy's name was Jason. Matt didn't really see this as a red flag at the time, though he just kind of thought it was a bit off. His driver seemed nice enough. The two men engaged in small talk for a few minutes. Then the driver took a personal call a few minutes into the ride. He answered over Bluetooth, so Matt heard the whole thing. It was the driver's 15-year-old son. He and the rest of the family were out to eat, and they offered to bring him a to-go order. Um, the driver declined, and he hung up the phone. And while his demeanor remained calm, something had changed. He began to drive erratically, faster and faster until they were going 80 in a residential area, weaving in and out of traffic, jumping the median, sideswiping parked cars. Matt was terrified. He was yelling at the driver, begging him to stop. And calm as could be, the driver looked at him confused, still barreling through a residential neighborhood at warp speed, and he said, you need to get to your friend's house, don't you? The driver missed his turn, and he continued to tear down Main Street. So Matt just began pointing out houses, kind of like, just drop me off here, drop me off here. My friend's house is there. Please just stop here. Finally, 
The driver, frustrated, slams on his brakes. The screeching of his tires actually caught the attention of several neighbors. So there were multiple witnesses to Matt literally tumbling out of this Equinox before it even came to a full stop. And then the maniac driver was gone. He tore off, just took off. Matt began yelling for witnesses to call 911 as he got up off the ground and dialed 911 himself. I've heard the audio of Matt's 911 call, and this operator was very dismissive. She was cutting him off, just sounded really annoyed. He told her that he had just had to jump out of an Uber that was moving. The guy was driving crazy, hitting cars, speeding through neighborhoods where kids were playing, um, that he passed the spot where he was supposed to drop Matt off and wouldn't let him out of his vehicle. So really, he had kidnapped him. Um, He had to jump out of a moving vehicle and the 911 operator's response had a very, like, what do you want me to do about it vibe. She asked him if he wanted to file a report or speak to an officer directly or if he was calling just to make them aware of the situation. He said that he just wanted them to know what had happened and to be on the lookout because, and I quote, I just don't want someone to get hurt. He gave them a description a middle-aged white man driving a silver Chevy Equinox with a German Shepherd in the backseat. And then the 911 operator all but hung up on him, like literally ended the call as he was in the middle of a sentence. But that would not be the last time that Matt Mellon spoke to the brisk 911 operator that day. When he got home, he called Uber's emergency line to report the incident, but he couldn't get through. He and his fiance posted a warning on Facebook, complete with a screenshot from Uber showing the driver's name and picture, urging their friends not to take a ride from him if they used Uber. It was a Saturday night. It's very common for people to Uber from, you know, bar to bar, restaurant to restaurant in downtown Kalamazoo. So they just wanted their friends to be aware that this guy had almost killed Matt and the police really didn't seem to care. The post said, Attention Kalamazoo peeps, this Uber driver named Jason drives a silver Chevy Equinox and is not a safe ride. Despite Matt pleading with this driver to pull over, he refused. He was acting completely normal throughout all of this erratic driving, hoping this man will be arrested or hospitalized soon if he has a medical condition causing his behavior. Matt went above and beyond to try to stop what was to come. He called the police, he called Uber, he posted for the community, but no one was listening. That Facebook message was posted at 5.33 p.m. Less than 10 minutes later, calls from the Meadows townhouse complex in a Kalamazoo suburb began flooding 911. A woman had been gunned down in the street by a middle-aged white man who was driving a silver Chevy Equinox erratically with a German Shepherd in the back seat. And you can hear the oh shit moment in the 911 operator's voice when she takes one of these calls and she puts two and two together. She says, that's just too crazy that the vehicles are similar, though, with a dog. So she actually calls Matt Mellon back. This time, she's ready to listen to him. And he gives her the guy's name. He sends her the screenshot that shows the guy's photo. And he assumes that, you know, they're just going to be able to contact Uber. Uber will look and see whose account it was. They'll figure out who it was and they'll handle it. But that is not at all what happened. And soon, the entire city of Kalamazoo would be living in fear of a madman on a rampage. Jason Dalton was about the last person anyone would have considered dangerous before that day. 
The 45-year-old insurance adjuster and his wife, Carol, had been married for over 20 years. They had two children, a 15-year-old son and a 10-year-old daughter. Jason had lived in Kalamazoo since he was a teenager. He was captain of his high school football team, got good grades, had lots of friends during school, had lots of friends after he graduated. He was described by everyone as outgoing and well-liked. He had a good job, a nice house. He liked to work on cars and collect guns. He had 15 firearms, all legally obtained, which was not out of the ordinary where he lived. Pure Michigan. Um, He started driving Uber to save up some extra money because he wanted to take his family to Disney World. In the couple of weeks before his rampage, his wife would later testify that he seemed a bit distant, a bit off, but he told her he was just tired from working the two jobs and she really had no reason not to believe him. That Saturday, February 20th, started out just like any other Saturday for the Daltons. Carol and the kids left the house to run errands while Jason and a friend went to a couple of gun shops together. Uh, Jason bought a new holster and a tactical jacket. He was in a good mood, but he was a bit reserved. His friend asked if he was okay, and he said that he was. When the two men parted ways, Jason said he was going to go home, take a quick nap, and then drive Uber for the evening. He clocked in at about 4 o'clock. His first fare was a young co-ed who declined to get in his car because he had a giant fucking German shepherd in the backseat. Good call. His second fare was Matt Mellon. After Matt escaped the vessel of destruction, Jason returned home. As calls were being made to 911 and the Uber emergency line, Jason was standing in his kitchen drinking a glass of water. As a Facebook warning was being put out to the community, Jason was in his basement strapping on a bulletproof vest, and arming himself with a Glock 9mm. At 5.32 p.m., Jason Dalton got his third fare of the day. A 15-year-old girl named Macy ordered an Uber to pick her boyfriend, 18-year-old D. Allen Blackburn, up from the Meadows Townhome Complex in Richland, which is a suburb of Kalamazoo, and take him to her house so that they could hang out for the evening. On the way, Jason called his wife, Carol, and told her that he'd had a fender bender and he needed to swap vehicles. Remember, he had sideswiped at least one car when he was driving Matt around. And so he told her that he needed to finish out the night with a Hummer that was stored at his parents' house, which Carol had the keys to. She and the kids were just leaving Sam's Club, so she told him, you know, I'm finishing up here, just meet me at your parents' house. But first... Jason had a teenage boy to pick up from one destination and deliver to another. When Jason arrived at the Meadows, he couldn't find D. Allen because Macy had provided the address to the apartment building's administration office instead of D. Allen's apartment. Because Macy's number was on the order, Jason was calling her, borderline yelling at her, telling her she gave him bad directions, he was frustrated. At one point, he got so flustered, he hung up on her. And then he saw a young woman walking down the sidewalk, getting ready to cross the street. He sped toward her and slammed on the brakes until their faces were just inches apart. He pulled right up to her. The woman, who was walking with six young children, including her own daughter, was startled. 
Jason shouted at her, are you Macy? So he didn't realize that he wasn't picking up a young girl. He didn't know he was supposed to be picking up a young man. Um, So he yells at her, you know, are you Macy? And she told him, no, I'm not Macy. And because he was so aggressive, she matched that. And she was aggressive back. And he just kept asking her, are you Macy? Are you Macy? And she was like, no, I'm not Macy. And she was not Macy. She was 25-year-old Tiana Carruthers. Tiana had just finished an afternoon workout in her townhouse when her daughter, who had friends over, asked if they could go to the house of another little girl who lived nearby. Tiana said she would walk the girls over so she could talk to this other little girl's mother, make sure it was okay for the kids to all stay and play together. And it was during this walk that Tiana, her daughter, her niece, and these four other young girls encountered an aggravated Jason Dalton who was literally driving in circles looking for his Uber passenger, becoming more enraged by the second. After this tense exchange, during which Tiana told Jason multiple times that she was not this Macy that he was looking for, he sped off. Tiana and the girls kept walking toward their destination, but Tiana kept an eye on the dinged-up Chevy Equinox because something was off about this guy. So she was already preparing for another confrontation when Jason Dalton circled back and sped toward her again. What she was not prepared for him to do was pull a gun. He pulled a gun, pointed it in her face. She told the girls, run, keep running, and don't stop no matter what. And then she did her best to keep Jason's attention on her so the kids could get away. She ran in the opposite direction from the girls as he began to open fire. He fired 15 rounds, only stopping because his gun jammed. Of those 15 rounds, he hit Tiana four times, once in the arm, once in each leg, and one shot went through the abdomen and lodged in her liver. She laid on the ground, playing dead, until Jason drove off. He thought she was dead. Um, And once he was gone, several neighbors rushed to her aid, and everyone started calling 911. All of the little girls that Tiana risked her life to protect were physically unharmed. As Tiana was rushed to the hospital with two broken legs, a broken arm, and a bullet in her liver, Jason drove his damaged silver equinox to his parents' house to meet his wife and kids. To explain the damage to the Equinox, Jason told Carol that he was being shot at by cab drivers because they didn't, (laughs) because they didn't like Uber drivers. So there was some big war between cab drivers and Uber drivers and he was being shot at. He handed her a gun and he told her, I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to do, but when you watch the 11 o'clock news tonight, you'll know that it was me. Okay, Elena Tyrell. When Jason tried to make his dramatic exit, the Hummer that he was planning to drive would not start, so he took his parents' black Chevy HHR instead, which means nobody's looking for him because police are still looking for a silver Chevy Equinox. In addition to switching out this janky car, Jason also switched out his janky gun for another 9mm. Back out on the unsuspecting town in a new car with a new gun and fresh bullets, Jason Dalton, who thinks he's just killed a woman, starts taking Uber fares again. Several of them. Passengers recall him singing to the radio, making small talk, acting as though he didn't have a care in the world. Meanwhile, police have the information that they need. They know that a man in a silver Chevy Equinox with a German Shepherd in the back seat 
has both kidnapped a man and driven him all over town like a madman and shot a woman in front of her home. And they've got the man's information from Uber. All they have to do is call Uber. But they, they I don't know, I don't know what happened there, but it, it definitely was not handled right because something, this was a chance. Even prosecutors and law enforcement officials admit that this was a chance. This was an opportunity to get things under control before they got out of control, and um, it was it was definitely missed. 17-year-old soccer player Tyler Smith spent most of the day that Saturday visiting car dealerships with his girlfriend, Alexis Cornish, who was also 17. That night, Tyler, a senior at Matawan High School, convinced his dad, Rich, a 53-year-old pipe fitter employed by Pfizer, to go with him back to Sealy Ford on Stadium Drive to check out a truck that he liked, even though the dealership was closed. Um, So Rich and Tyler, with Alexis in tow, arrived at the car lot at 10.01 p.m. that night. Rich parked his Range Rover next to the truck in question. The guys got out to inspect the vehicle while Alexis stayed in the back seat, a decision that would ultimately save her life. As a dealership that sells, you know, $30,000, $50,000 vehicles, they had cameras everywhere. So the deadly exchange between Jason Dalton and the Smiths was captured on film from multiple angles. It was also witnessed by people driving by. Stadium Drive is kind of part of the main business loop in downtown Kalamazoo, so there were people everywhere. Jason pulled into the lot, parked his car, got out, and casually approached the father-son duo as they admired an electric blue Ford F-150. He asked them what they were looking at, and as Rich began to answer, Jason opened fire. 17 rounds at point-blank range. As Rich and Tyler's bodies fell to the ground, Alexis cowered in the backseat of the Range Rover, praying the stranger who just murdered her boyfriend and his dad wouldn't see her. And he didn't. She watched as his shadow passed by, then disappeared. Once she was sure he was gone, she crawled out of the back seat and over to Tyler's lifeless body. She pulled his phone out of his pocket because she had left her phone at home, and she called 911 at 10.08 p.m., so this whole thing took like seven minutes to unfold. Officers arrived within just a couple of minutes, but it was too late. Both Rich and Tyler Smith were gone, and Jason Dalton was officially a killer. This was the point at which we started to hear rumblings that something was happening here in Lansing. A mass shooter on the loose, gunning down strangers at random on the streets of Kalamazoo. My kids have family in Kalamazoo, so it had kind of a bit of a personal element for us. You know, it was it was horrifying. And it was about to get worse. At 10.21 p.m., 13 minutes after Alexis Cornish's desperate 911 call from the Sealy dealership, Nearly five hours after Tiana Carruthers was gunned down at her townhouse complex, six hours after Matt Mellon first called 911 and told them that there was a madman behind the wheel of an Uber, a man whose name and photo he had provided to police, by the way, the switchboards at the 911 call center lit up again. This time the calls were coming from the Cracker Barrel parking lot, where a man had just shot up two cars, according to witnesses. The Kalamazoo Cracker Barrel was less than five minutes from Sealy Ford, where authorities were still just beginning to process the scene of a brutal double murder. When police arrived at the Cracker Barrel, they found two parked cars, a minivan and a little red sedan, with five gunshot victims between them, one in the van and four in the car. 
62-year-old Mary Lou Nye, a retired State of Michigan employee, her brother's wife, 60-year-old Mary Jo Nye, who was a schoolteacher, 74-year-old Judy Brown, a caregiver for seniors, 68-year-old Barbara Hawthorne, a retired Kellogg Company employee, and Barbara's surrogate granddaughter, 14-year-old Abby Koth, went to dinner and a show together on the night of February 20th. They met at Cracker Barrel, ate, then carpooled to a performance at a local theater. When the show was over, they returned to Cracker Barrel to split up and head home in their respective vehicles. Mary Lou Nye was sitting in the driver's seat of her van, and the other four women were in the car when Jason Dalton pulled up. He got out of his vehicle, walked up to Mary Lou, and asked her if she had a dollar to spare to make America great again. She told him she didn't have any change, so he shot her at point-blank range. He then opened fire on the vehicle full of screaming women who had just witnessed their friend's murder. When police arrived, they found Mary Lou dead in her minivan. Mary Jo Nye and Judy Brown were very obviously dead in the car. But Barbara Hawthorne was still alive. She was wounded, but she was on the phone with 911 herself. And then officers saw something moving on the floor of the passenger seat. A small, gravely wounded child with half of her skull missing. Abby Koff was raced to the hospital, but her chances weren't good. Um, There was a lot of, in the 2020 episode about this case, which is phenomenal, you definitely need to watch it. I'll give you the episode number and all of that at the end. Um, But there's a lot of, you know, footage, audio, and video from the scene, and an officer can be heard saying, one child is on the way to the hospital, probably going to die. But Barbara, who Abby considered her grandmother, was lucid, talking, and actually tried to help herself out of the car when the ambulance arrived. Word is now spreading like wildfire that there is a shooter on the loose in Kalamazoo. There's been a shooting at Cracker Barrel. All of the women have been expected home at this point, and they're not home yet, so their husbands, friends, family members, Abby's parents, they all start calling and keep calling. Meanwhile, all five women's cell phones are sitting on top of one of the cars, ringing off the hook as authorities process what is, at the very least, a triple homicide with the potential to get worse if Abby or Barbara die. Just like the shooting at the car dealership, this one had multiple witnesses, so police knew they were looking for a black Chevy HHR. What they didn't know was that the driver of that HHR was also the driver of the silver Equinox they were looking for in relation to the shooting at the Meadows and the incident with Matt Mellon. At this point, the entire city of Kalamazoo was on high alert. Even in Lansing, we knew what was happening. Everyone was terrified. And Jason Dalton, who had now killed five people and shot three others, went back to taking Uber fares. Multiple passengers asked him if he was the shooter after realizing that he and his vehicle fit the description authorities had given. But because Jason had switched cars mid-rampage, Police still hadn't connected him with the crazy Uber driver from earlier in the evening. So in no one's wildest dreams was the shooter an Uber driver actively out driving passengers around the city between murdering people. At least one group of people that rode with Jason that night ordered an Uber specifically because their waitress had told them that there was a serial shooter on the loose. They had been planning to walk. They found out there was a shooter, and they were like, oh, we'll just take an Uber. That'll be safer. And then they fucking got in Jason Dalton's car. That is just wild, wild to me. 
When people would ask him if he was the shooter, of course, he would say, no, no way. How crazy. Can you believe that's happening? That's not me. It it just doesn't make any sense. Like, why? If he wanted to go on a murderous rampage, why was he murdering people out in the open in front of witnesses instead of his passengers in private once he picked them up and had them captive in his vehicle? Why did he kill the family at the car dealership instead of the family he picked up from a downtown restaurant? Why did he kill the group of friends at a Cracker Barrel instead of the group of friends he drove from one bar to another? It just, it's so strange. Everything about this one is so strange. So the police are on the hunt for a madman processing three separate crime scenes at this point. Authorities are notifying the families of Rich and Tyler Smith, Mary Lou and Mary Jo Nye, and Judy Brown that their loved ones are gone. And Tiana Carruthers, Barbara Hawthorne, and Abby Koff are fighting for their lives in the hospital. Which, the hospital's on lockdown, by the way, because nobody knows what the hell is going on and where the shooter is going to pop up next. When authorities called Abby's parents, they told them to get to the hospital immediately because Abby was not going to make it through the night. Tiana was in surgery and appeared that she was going to recover. Meanwhile, Barbara, who'd been alert and talking after she was first shot, had slipped into unconsciousness. A short time later, Barbara's family received the news that she had passed. Just down the hall, Abby's parents were talking with hospital officials about donating her organs as they prepared to remove her from life support. A state trooper actually reported her death on live TV while her family was still saying their goodbyes. A time of death had been called, the machines were unhooked and wheeled out of the room, and Abby's parents were given privacy. Just a few moments alone with her to say goodbye. Abby's mom laid her head on her daughter's chest, and she was like, wait a minute, I think she's breathing. So she told the nurse who got out her stethoscope, and as she listened, her eyes went wide, and suddenly the room was full of people again, hooking things back up, calling frantically for the doctor. Through all of this chaos, Abby's mother was holding her hand, and at one point she leaned down and said, Abby, this is Mama. If you can hear me, give me a sign. And Abby squeezed her mother's hand. As medical personnel fought to stabilize Abby and Tiana, the only two survivors thus far of Jason Dalton's rampage, police combed the city. At 12.36 a.m., so we're technically into February 21st at this point, an officer patrolling the streets of downtown Kalamazoo called in over the radio. I think I got him. A patrol car continued to follow the black HHR through the city as backup raced toward the scene, and they had no idea if this was him. Black HHRs were common in the area. They'd pulled over several already that night. But this time, it was, in fact, the shooter. And they took Jason Dalton into custody without incident. While his arrest was uneventful, his interrogation was another story entirely. Before we talk about that, though, I want to thank our other sponsor for today's episode. The holidays are upon us. Give yourself and your wallet a break with every plate. Enjoy delicious, affordable meals delivered to your door and ready to go in just six simple steps. One meal from every plate is about the same price as a cup of coffee, and recipes come together in about 30 minutes. Save time and money and trips out into the frozen tundra. I know that I don't like to leave the house unless I have to during winter weather. Let every plate deliver fresh, healthy food to your door for a fraction of the price of other meal kit services. And trust me, 
If I can prepare these recipes with ease, anybody can. Cooking is not my forte. So if I can do it, you can do it. The thing that I love most is that the recipes are tried and true. No experimentation required, no wasting time and money on a recipe you found online only for it to be god-awful. That has happened to me more times than I can count, and it makes me so angry. With every plate, though, you know you're getting quality ingredients and delicious meals that the whole family will enjoy. Try every plate for just $1.79 per meal by visiting everyplate.com and entering code SODEAD179. Again, that is $1.79 per meal at everyplate.com, promo code SODEAD179. Okay, so police finally have that greasy piece of shit, Jason Dalton, in custody, and there's no question he's the guy. They found him with the murder weapon and bullets in his pocket wearing a bulletproof vest. So the threat is over, the city is safe, it's time for a collective sigh of relief. But like, what the fuck, right? What in the actual fuck just happened? This interrogation footage is some of the weirdest shit I have ever seen. But let me just tell you, this guy, Jason, has the dweebiest voice I have ever heard. His tone, his mannerisms, just such a dweeb. Such a dweeb. At one point he said, I'm not a killer, but I know that I have killed. And when police asked him why, why did you do this? He said, if you guys only knew, it would blow your mind. And okay, he was definitely right about that. He, he got that part right. Um, he said, and I quote, I know that you guys are going to have a hard time believing this, but it literally took over my mind and body. It being Uber, the Uber app on his phone. According to Dalton, he opened the app and saw the Masonic Eastern Star. So he tapped on it and then a devil head popped up. Again, this is verbatim. Some sort of like horned head, like a cow head or something. And I pressed that button and that's where all the problems went after that. So... The background of the Uber app in 2016, I would imagine that they've changed it by now. I fucking hope so. Was like It was like a dark blue background with light blue overlapping triangles, which I guess, depending on how you look at it, could maybe look like stars. And then the Uber logo itself, which this I think they have changed, once you're in the app, it was a U with the top corners hooked in. So I suppose someone could see like a, a, a devil head in that if they wanted to. Um, Dalton then said that the Uber app would switch from red to black and that when it's black, it literally has control of you. That's a verbatim, literally has control of you. So apparently, um, I don't know anything about Uber. I've never taken an Uber. I've never worked for Uber. So this is all just what was in the reports. Um, when a driver gets a ride request, it kind of zeroes in on the location of the ride request with a circle and it turns the rest of the screen black. And then when there's surge pricing, the areas that are subject to the surge pricing are red on the map. So there are times where the map is open and there's surge pricing, there will be red patches. And then if you get a ride request, it's going to focus in on that specific location and the rest of the screen goes black. So that does happen, I guess. But that is all that these experts could really come up with as far as this whole red and black thing. Uh, Then Dalton said that the app would ding One ding for yes, two dings for no. And that was how it told him who to kill and who not to kill. 
So when a driver gets a ride request, their phone starts dinging, and it will ding for 10 to 12 seconds unless the driver taps the screen to make a stop to acknowledge that they've seen the request. So literally, who lived and who died that night depended on how quickly this fucking potato got to his phone when he got a ride request. If he grabbed his phone right away and it only had time to ding once, that meant yes, and he would shoot. If it took his sausage fingers a few seconds to tap the screen and it dinged more than once, that meant no, and he would not shoot. Now, this sounded crazy, of course, because it is, but police weren't sure whether Dalton was making this all up on the fly or if he actually believed it. And I have watched this interrogation video several times. I honestly cannot tell either. He is either just hella dumb and making up the world's worst lie, or he is hella crazy with a capital everything. His lawyer requested a competency exam, and Jason Dalton was found competent to stand trial. Five days after the murders, his wife filed for divorce, and it became clear pretty quickly that he was going to plead insanity. He certainly seemed insane during a pretrial hearing in May of 2016, just three months after his rampage. While his first victim, Tiana Carruthers, was on the stand testifying, Jason had a violent, nonsensical outburst, and he had to be dragged from the courtroom by several officers, which left Tiana in hysterics. And this all, all of this footage is available online, and it's featured in the 2020 episode about the case, and it is just so heartbreaking to watch, because this is, it's only been a few months, you know, you see her walk into the courtroom, she's still got a walker. Um, She's still recovering. She's still got a bullet in her liver. And she was being so strong. And then this fucking piece of shit just lost it and went berserk in the courtroom. And her cries, like, I was crying right along with her. It was, it's it's so hard to watch. So hard to watch. But she was so strong. So strong. Such an amazing person. In the months that followed, Kalamazoo focused on healing, on helping Tiana and Abby recover, while the prosecutor's office focused on building the strongest case they possibly could against Jason Dalton's I was possessed by Uber defense. And then on January 7th, 2019, nearly three years after the shootings and the day that jury selection was supposed to begin, In a move that was as shocking and unexpected as the shootings themselves, first of all, and as Jason's wild-ass motive, he pled guilty to all of the charges against him, dropped the insanity defense, and just pled guilty. No plea deal. Guilty, guilty, guilty. On February 5th, 2019, 48-year-old Jason Dalton, father, husband, insurance adjuster, Uber driver, and mass murderer, was given six life sentences without the possibility of parole. The families of the victims read victim impact statements at the sentencing, so they did get to do that at least, and then he was carted away, like the trash that he is. Dalton is currently housed at the Oaks Correctional Facility in Manistee, Michigan. Carol Dalton and her two children moved out of the family home and out of Kalamazoo within days of the shooting. They started completely over. She and Jason are divorced, um, and they just tried to tried to rebuild. I mean, the whole family maintained that this just came out of nowhere, nowhere. And so they were victims just as much as anyone else. Abby Kopf endured a long and painful recovery with setbacks and surgeries and therapy and more therapy. 
finally, two years after she was shot in the head at point-blank range, she returned to high school. If my math is correct, she's 19 or 20 today, and I hope that she is doing so good. Tiana Carruthers also recovered after a long-fought battle, though her body was left scarred and she still has that bullet in her liver. She began giving motivational speeches and started her own company called Shiro, like hero with an S on the beginning, so Shiro. I love it. In 2020, she was nominated for a Congressional Medal of Honor, and in 2021, she and her daughter left Michigan to start a new life in Arizona. And again, I hope they are doing so good. Lori Smith, who lost her husband Rich and her son Tyler that night, still wears her wedding ring and lives in the family home with her daughter Emily and now Emily's three-year-old daughter also. She started a nonprofit called the Forever Strong Foundation in an effort to give back to the community that did so much for her and Emily during their darkest days. A memorial tree was planted at Madawan High School in Tyler's memory. The families of the victims and survivors keep in touch, and this past February, they commemorated the five-year anniversary of the shooting together with an online prayer event. Uber put safeguards into place following the shooting, including the ability to call 911 directly through the Uber app and an 800 number that serves as an emergency hotline that is open 24 hours a day. But that is too little, too late for Matt Mellon, Jason Dalton's first Uber fare that fateful day, who contacted both 911 and Uber before a single shot was fired and was still unable to stop the carnage. Earlier this year, Matt filed a federal civil lawsuit against Uber claiming they violated the Michigan Consumer Protection Act and committed fraud and silent fraud by not having a team available 24-7 for emergencies. Mellon, who suffers from severe PTSD and survivor's guilt, wants the ride-for-hire behemoth to be held accountable in some way for what happened that day. It has been nearly six years since the night of terror that led to the movement known as Kalamazoo Strong, and to this day, the man responsible has offered no explanation beyond the devil made me do it. Thank you for coming to my dead talk. My primary sources for today's episode are that 2020 episode that I kept mentioning. It is episode 24 of season 41. It's called The Deadly Ride. I highly, highly, highly recommend that you watch that if you have not seen it. Uh, As well as an article in GQ magazine by Chris Heath titled The Uber Killer, The Real Story of One Night of Terror. You can find a full list of resources on the page for this episode on the So Dead website. And now it's time for our last liquid cheese of the year. I am finally out of true crime themed topics, I think, to to do. So because it's holiday season, I want to hear about your holiday disasters. This can be like a big family fight at Thanksgiving dinner or a horrible Christmas gift exchange gone wrong. You know, you get people together that don't spend a lot of time together and and things are bound to get wild. Um, Mine, when I was trying to think of like a holiday disaster in my house, the only one I could really think of was, oh gosh, maybe five, six, seven years ago. I'm not real sure. Time, what's time anymore, right? Once you're living in a pandemic, like what is time? So... Growing up, 
my family always had real Christmas trees. My mom got a real tree every year. Uh, we had a dog for several years that would get into the water. He knocked the tree over, broke a bunch of our ornaments. It was a whole mess. So when I got my own place and had my own decorating to do, I did artificial trees the whole way. Sometimes because I had to, because I lived in an apartment. Sometimes because that was just what I wanted to do and it was easier, blah, blah, blah. So always had artificial trees. One year, right towards the end of the holiday season, we we're getting ready to take the tree down. You know, I was like, okay, this this one's getting a little janky. We've used it several times. You know, some of the lights are burned out. The little um, holders that kind of held the branches in place were getting loose. And so the next year it was we either need to get a new artificial tree or we could try a real one. So we had I had never in my adult life, and I'm in my mid-30s at this point, I had never had a real Christmas tree. So we went to the lot run by the local Boy Scout troop, and we got us a real tree. I don't think my husband had ever had a real tree either. So we've got, you know, four kids, lots going on, lots to coordinate, Money's a little tight. We got all these wonderful presents for him. I got him wrapped early. Like, I was on it this year. Christmas cards went out. House was decorated. Here I am sitting now, today, in the year 2021, in my house, mid-November, and my Halloween shit's still out. So (laughs) this year, though, I was on it. Boy, I had it. My husband, my dear sweet husband, was responsible for watering the tree. We had, obviously, the tree holder, and then we had a tree skirt around it. And one day, several, several days, couple weeks into having our real Christmas tree up, still Christmas is several weeks out, you know, I did my Black Friday shopping, got these great deals, got the kids pretty much everything they wanted, video games and gaming systems and expensive clothes and all these things they wanted. And one day I noticed there was like a weird, like moldy smell coming from the tree, And I was like, gross, you know, does the water need to be switched out? So I got down on my hands and knees. And as soon as I got close to the tree, my hands and knees were suddenly soggy. The carpet was soaked. The tree skirt was soaked. And most of the presents under the tree were soaked. (laughs) Because uh, Dax had been pouring in the water without looking at what he was doing, and he was overfilling the tree stand, and water was just soaking the presents and the rug and the tree skirt for weeks. So, yeah, that was not a good day in our house at all, at all. Um, I was so angry, so upset, And, you know, I think the kids were, like, already at their dad's that day, so the kids weren't home. So I just started, like, ripping presents out from under the tree, opening everything up. All of them were water damaged. It was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. Um, We wound up replacing the things that needed to be replaced. We never got a real tree again, and I never will. You could not pay me to do a real Christmas tree after that. So, um, yeah, that that is my holiday disaster. That's the worst one I can think of. But I want to hear yours. I bet you guys have some juicy ones, and I I want to hear them. So I'll post on the Facebook group for the Soda Discussion Group, and you can tell me your holiday disasters.
Before I sign off for the remainder of 2021, I do want to one more time give a shout out to everyone who has left a review for So Dead on Apple Podcasts since the last time I did shout outs. So we've got um, Snowflake, Quinny, I don't know what this one's supposed to be, like Tony. It, it starts out as a normal name. It's Tony Balin, and then it has the letters E-Y-G at the end. So I don't really know how to say that. I'm just going to say Tony Balinig. I know that's not right. I don't know what it's supposed to be. Make these easier, guys. Make these easier on me. Um, Sarah J here today and Sochbowl57. Facebook has done this super cute thing where I cannot see the reviews anymore that I'm getting. Um, Not sure if you can even still leave them because the page obviously looks different to me than it looks to you, but I can't see them. I can see the number of reviews. I can see, you know, the star rating, like how many stars I have, but I can't see the actual reviews anymore. So I can't respond to them or thank the Facebook reviewers anymore, which is super lame. I hope they change that back. And that, my fellow humans, brings season three of So Dead to a close. Thank you all so, so much for your continued support. I will be back with new episodes in early 2022. In the meantime, if you're missing the sound of my Michigan accent and you haven't joined Patreon yet, Patreon subscribers do get, in addition to early ad-free access to regular episodes, they get monthly bonus episodes, um, bonus content, they get um, gifts. I mail out gifts once a month and random mailings here and there. So there's all sorts of different different things going on there. So definitely go check that out if you haven't yet. Um, Patreon.com slash so dead, or you could probably just Google so dead Patreon. Also, you know where to find me. It's holiday season. I own a bookshop in Lansing, Dead Time Stories, True Crime, and Other Books, as well as the Screamatorium, which is the gift and snack shop next door. Lots of great like stocking stuffers and unique gifts, gift certificates. I am there almost all the time. So if you're like coming from afar and you want to meet me, definitely shoot me an email or a message to ask me if I'm going to be there the day you're coming. Because um, again, most of the time I am there, but not always at this point. Yeah, that's it. Follow me on all the socials. Make sure that you've joined the So Dead uh, discussion group on Facebook. Lots of cool stuff there. TikTok. Um, I've even been letting the TikTok slack lately because I just have way too much going on. But that is Scream Queen 517 is my TikTok name where you could just search me by name probably. Um, but that is still, that has quickly become my favorite social media avenue. So definitely follow me there if you don't. And yeah, have have a good holiday season. We are almost done with year two of the pandemic. So hopefully there's an end in sight. It's almost 2022. Um, take care. And remember, just because you're different doesn't mean you're not beautiful. So get out there and shine, you magnificent what the fucks.